You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. We're going to be in chapter 3. We started a sermon series this past Sunday called Through the Fire because we live in an interesting time in America. I truly believe America is the greatest country that's ever lived and and yet we are living in a time where we as Christians are going to be facing more and more adversity and the truths that we hold dear from the word of God will come under attack more and more. And so uh, as we face this, we're asking the question, uh, will, will we in fact stand firm in our faith in a culture that is ungodly? How will we, our children, our grandchildren, how will we prepare them in order to live in a culture that is against our God? And so we wanna understand, we wanna be equipped, we wanna be encouraged uh, in this vein. And uh, I think the Lord just doesn't want us to complain about culture. He doesn't just want us to try to avoid culture and go live on a monastery somewhere in the middle of nowhere. Uh, He's not calling us uh, just to endure this life while we're alive. I think what Jesus is calling us to do is to actually influence our culture. This is where we want to live and breathe as followers of Jesus. How will we influence culture? How will we demonstrate the love of Christ, the power of the gospel in our life in such a way that we would bring salt, that we would bring light into a dark world, salt to bring flavor into preserve culture, light to uh, illuminate the darkness that is in the world. And so this is what we're called to do and this is what we're called to be as Christians. The problem is with uh, many Christians and, and, and the church in general, kind of broad stroke here around the world is that we aren't really good at this. We're just not really good at this. We have the, the heavy truthers that just condemn and stand on a soapbox and, and look really, really angry. And then you've got this other group that's just super open and welcome to any kind of sin and they just kind of accept sin. And, and then uh, even if someone is dying and on their way to hell, we're just gonna love them anyway and not really tell the truth. And so we've got these, these two different scopes. And, and so this series, we're trying to unfold this tension and try to encourage each other uh, through God's word that we would be different. Today, I wanna talk about how your worship is in fact the biggest factor uh, in relation to your influence and your impact in this culture. The title of the sermon is Worship That Stands Out. And so that's really the question today. Does your worship stand out? Uh, Just to recap, if you've missed, I encourage you to watch it online if you uh, weren't able to be here last week or watch it online. Uh, When we started, we we started by looking at the life of Daniel and and we started by seeing that Daniel uh, was living in an area called Judah, the southern kingdom of Israel. And because of God's sovereignty uh, out, because they were disobedient, God sends the Babylonians to conquer Judah. And they take back over 10,000 slaves with them. And uh, Daniel and three of his friends, Daniel, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were included in that group. When they get there, because of their kind of who they were and kind of the talents that they had, they were selected to be a part of a training program there in Babylon. It was gonna be a special education. They were also given a special diet. But that special diet would have broken God's laws, as we talked about last week. And so Daniel tells his boss, hey, we can't eat this uh, or it would be, you know, against our God. So can we just eat vegetables and and drink water? And uh, he says, we'll try it out for 10 days. And if it works, then it'll be okay." And sure enough, after 10 days, 
Daniel and his buddies are, in fact, uh, they look healthier than anybody else in the area. And so uh, blessing and favor and elevation begins to happen in Daniel and his buddy's life there in Babylon. Chapter two, uh, the king actually has a really scary dream and he doesn't know what it means. And so he asks his sorcerers, his magicians, all of his counsel uh, to uh, interpret the dream. But not just interpret the dream, he actually wanted them to tell uh, him what he dreamed. So this was an impossibility for them. No one could do it. He was threatening to kill everybody because they couldn't do it. And Daniel hears about this, he prays about it, and God actually gives him the answer. He tells him what the king actually dreamed about and he interprets it for him. And so when Daniel shares this with the king, it blows him away. And he in fact says, your God is the God of all gods. And as a result of that, he makes Daniel the ruler over the province of Babylon. Can you imagine this? Starts out as a foreigner slave, and then he is elevated to now he is the ruler of all of Babylon. Well, just like a good friend would do, he gets Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's his boys, and he gives them a, a promotion as well. And so now they are governors of various provinces and areas in Babylon as well. So here they are. They are leaders. They have impacted their culture. And today in chapter three, we pick up with their story. And this is about, about 15 years from chapter one and chapter two. So remember last week, Daniel and his, and his buddies were teenagers, 15 years old. Uh, in chapter three, they're probably 30, around uh, 30 years old. Uh, they're younger 30s. And in this season, this is yet another test that they're gonna have to face. And this test is unlike any test they have ever experienced in their life. It's in fact going to change their life forever. Let's look at chapter three, beginning in verse one. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be here on the screen. It says this, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits and its breadth six cubits. He said, he set it up on the plain of Dura and the province of Babylon. So he creates this huge golden image. And he puts it before all of the people. Jump down to verse four. And the herald proclaimed aloud to the entire area. He says, you are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Oh man. Like I remember hearing this as a kid and this was the really scary part, right? Like, oh my goodness. Okay. I'll do whatever you want, King. Like, I don't want to go to the fiery furnace, right? Well, what do these guys do? You know what happens here. Okay. So it's, it's basically a 90 foot golden image. And most scholars believe that it was an image um, that uh, was a replication of King Nebuchadnezzar. So it looked like him. And so he's telling everybody, Hey, when you hear the music, when the band plays, everybody stop what you're doing, bow down and worship this idol. And Shadrach and Meshach are faced with a decision, just like you and I. It's amazing how 2,500 years ago, approximately, this story you know, is, is, is written and, and, and here we are today and it still has so much relevance. Like who are we going to worship when the cultural band in our world says, worship this, go after this? Will you bow down to the idols, the images that are in our culture? 
that promise to fulfill you, that promise to satisfy you, that promise to, 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 to help you stand out and be you know, fulfilled in your life? Or will you stay true to the God that you serve? And you know the answer to this is, as far as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they do not bow down. The music plays, um, but they're committed to God, so they, they don't bow down, and people take notice of this, right? And, and, and as a result, we've got some things to learn from this. And the first thing that I would encourage you to write down and understand is that when you worship Jesus, you will stand out. No doubt about it. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego worship their God, refused to worship idols, they stood out incredibly, right? Everybody else is bowing down and here they are. What's up guys? Y'all are down there, we are standing up. <laughs> Everybody can see us, right? When you stand and worship Jesus, you will stand out. And so here's the reality, it's, it's not a maybe. Uh, if you're really worshiping Jesus, at work, at home, in this culture, you are going to stand out. In fact, if you are not standing out in culture because you're worshiping Jesus, then chances are you, in fact, are not worshiping Jesus. We need to have a heart check today. We need to understand who we're actually running after. Culture is going to tell us. Culture is influencing us to worship certain things, to idolize certain things. Culture is gonna tell us that, hey, you know, beautiful bodies, puffy lips, and, and uh, you know, the nice car, and, and uh, the right clothes, and, and the right success, and the right job, that's what's important, and that is what is beautiful, and that is what is going to bring you happiness, and so bow down to that. Worship that image of yourself. We see it over and over again. We don't create 90-foot idols anymore. It's not quite that apparent, and yet we still idolize various images in our culture. We idolize athletes. We idolize musicians and movie stars as if there's something special because they can you know, put a, a ball through a hoop or because they sang a song or they were in a, a, a movie that made us laugh. And so we bow down and we worship. We worship wealth and success. Yes, we worship beauty and we worship acceptance. And so these are the idols of our day. These are the images that we give our life to and we think, you know, well, we just wanna take care of our family. We don't like to think of it as, in, in, in fact, worshiping pleasure or worshiping money. We don't wanna look at it that way. We like to think of it as living our best life, not worshiping success. We like to think of it as, as, as not as worshiping beauty. We, we spend money and so much time because we wanna be confident. And so we can spin it in our own heart. We can spin it in our own mind to make us feel like we're doing something good when in fact we are bowing down to a cultural image and way of life that actually steals and robs worship of God. The truth is all of us, every single human being is a worshiper. Every human being ever created is a worshiper. It's not something that we do. It's something that we in fact are because God created us this way. And so worship happens when you and I determine that something is valuable. And when we think something is worthy of our time, our money, our energy, our talents, we live our life and we value that thing, that idol or God, and we give it everything that we've got. So the essence of worship is focusing on and responding to either an idol or responding to our God. 
I love how the apostle Paul writes it in Romans 12, verse one. He says this, therefore I urge you brothers and sisters in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is true and proper worship. He says, okay, you all worship. Everybody worships something. You're giving your life to something or someone or some type of image or some type of idol. He says, but true and proper worship is in fact a life that is sacrificed, full bodies, living, serving this God. Because worship is a verb. It's activity. And if there's no activity in your life toward God, you probably haven't made a heart connection with God. Because when you make a heart connection with God, everything changes. The way that you talk, the way that you live, the things that you think about, the things that you, you sing about, the things that you go to, the things that you're a part of, the way that you spend your money, the way that everything that you do is impacted with a proper and true response to this God. And he says, in view of God's mercy, in view of the fact that Jesus Christ took your sin to the cross, and he paid the debt that you could not pay. And because he paid it all, you have his mercy, you have his love, you have the opportunity to have his forgiveness and you can serve him now and you can have heaven and you can have hope and you can have purpose through him. He says in view of that, you respond to him by giving him your life. In view of all of that, in view of his mercy, you don't just come to church once a week, like, oh man, I did it. It's, it's way more than just showing up on Sunday, isn't it? He says, I, I want you to be a living sacrifice. That means I am, I'm singing about him. I'm serving him. I'm giving to him. I'm thinking about him. I'm, 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 I'm changing everything in my life to begin to line up and move in the direction of where he is calling me to go and what he's calling me to do. This is a holy God. And in view of that mercy, we're called to worship him and experience him. And nobody can make you worship God. No, nobody can, can, can do that in your heart because it's your response. How you respond in worship is, is totally up to you. I, I can't make you do anything different. I can't make my kids do anything different. Like it's their response. And, and, and if you've never experienced the power and love and hope of the gospel, you don't know what it feels like to lay down at night and go, woohoo, man, God showed up. Like, God changed my life. I saw 20 people get baptized this week and 20 last week, and I heard some stories, and I served God, and I, I heard about what happened and what God is doing, and when we sang and when we were in the presence of God, I felt him. He is real. He is moving. I hear him. He is moving. And so we respond with all of me, God, to all of him. And if you're here today and you're just still negotiating with God, you're saying, well, God, if you... If you're real, then show me a sign. And if you're really real, God, I'll give it all to you if you really do this. If you save me in this area, if you take care of this, then I'll know you're real. If you're still having those conversations with God, let me just tell you, that's just a, an admission that you have no idea what the mercies of God really are. And, and, and my hope and prayer is that you move in that direction, but that's just an admission that you're still just kind of negotiating because when you understand the mercy and power of God's love in the cross of Jesus Christ. It is a full out everything I have to you, Jesus. It's worth everything I have to serve him. 
to worship him. Once you get it in worship, that response is, woohoo, man, high fives, it's smiles, it's energy, it's serving, it's prayer, it's worship, it's, it's being a part of the mission of God. It is making disciples, and in your, your own way, you are a part of that. That's what it looks like. This is what worship and authentic, true, proper worship really, truly looks like. It's, it's interesting um, that they are told to worship the idol when the band plays. Have you ever thought about this when you re- read this portion? When the orchestra plays, uh, worship starts. It's, 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 it's like when the soundtrack plays, everybody hears the soundtrack, you bow down. Now, why in the world is, is music involved in worship? Paul doesn't say in Romans 12 to offer your songs to God as an act of worship. Sure, singing is a part of our worship. When we sing to God, the songs that we sing today, they glorify God. That is a part of it. But he doesn't say give your songs because it's way more than that. He's asking us to give our entire bodies, our entire self. So you don't need music to worship God. And yet so often music is accompanied by worship in life. When you think about all the various aspects of life, music is a huge part of who we are. Now, I love music. I listen to all kinds of music and, and, and have my entire life. And so, so this really resonates with me because I, I, I love it. When you think about it, music is so intertwined with our heart. It, it, it's, it connects us so much to those things that which we love. And so, so music is so much a part of, of what, we, what we worship or, or idolize, whether that be God or whether that be an idol. Think about uh, the, those that you love in your life. If, if you're married, you're dating somebody, you, 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 know, you love them, like you want to express that love with a good song, right? A couple of weeks ago, bring back the mixtape, talking about marriage, we got that 80s playlist playing out in the lobby and everybody's, everybody's like singing under their breath. Why? Because we love those songs, right? Because it's a way for us to express love uh, of those in our life that, that we care about. When you think about your favorite movies, um, they have incredible soundtracks. And my favorite movies like, you know, Gladiator or, or Legends of the Falls, the, th- this has an incredible soundtrack behind them. Um, High School Musical is not one of my favorite movies at all. But without the music, like it's, it's no, it's not even a movie, right? Um, you think about all of these things that, that, that really show us that music is a huge part of our culture. Like when you watch a scary movie, it's not a scary movie without the scary music, right? It just, it just makes the movie. When you go out to dinner, there's background music. Uh, when you go to a party, there's music. Everywhere you go, you go to the beach, you're on vacation, you play a playlist to get the good vibes going, right? Music is everywhere. When you study, you're listening to music. Like this is a, a part of who we are. When your favorite team scores, you sing the fight song, right? Right? Good or bad, we sing it. Good old Rocky Top, home sweet home. Why? Because we love Tennessee. You, you, you love them. No matter how they perform, you're, you're a, a fan. Now, what we have to be careful with in all of these things is that these great songs don't become songs of worship in our life. That's where we have to guard against. And, and, and the reason is because the enemy knows that we're drawn to music. 
He knows the power of music in our life. He knows how much uh, influence music has in our life and, and how it changes our affections and our hearts and, it, and how it changes how we think. And, and that's why we have to be careful what we're listening to. That's why we have to be careful what we allow ourselves to experience musically because it impacts us. By the way, you may not know this, but, but Satan was actually in charge of music before he fell from heaven. Uh, you can go read Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah, Isaiah 14. Satan knows the power of music in our life and he uses it to manipulate our heart. And that's why we have to be careful. That's why we have to be careful to what we sing and what we cherish comes out in, 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 in music and we respond to it. Uh, I've been really encouraged the last uh, several weeks. We've been talking about Daniel and influencing culture and uh, our student ministry has been talking to middle schoolers and high schoolers about influencing culture as well. And, and so one of the things that has super encouraged me is we've got a couple of students who, who when the fight song at their school is played, they actually sit down during that part to kind of take a stand for what they believe. And, and the reason is because at this particular high school, um, they've changed the words. The students have changed the words. I don't know how many years ago. You guys probably do, but but every time they sing this song to their, their fight song, the song is about getting drunk and using vulgarity that I can't even repeat this morning. It'd be bleeped out if it was on TV. My mom literally would wash my mouth out with soap. If, even if I was an 18-year-old kid, she'd have beat me and grounded me for a year. But uh, this is happening. Right? And I, I don't know why. It's, it's almost like we've kind of turned a blind eye to what's happening in our city. Um, but uh, these students have decided that they're going to take a stand. And so they sit down as a way to say, you know what, we're not going to be a part of this song and, and, and this culture. And listen, when you do that, when you take a stand and worship Jesus, culture is not gonna like it, right? Culture is not gonna respond to that. The world is not going to like it. Let's look at verses eight through 12 and see how Babylon reacted to this decision that these three guys made. Verse eight. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans, this is another name for Babylonians, came forward and maliciously accused. So they had some motivation. I think it was probably racism because, you know, these guys are Jewish and they're in Babylon. So racism is a part of this and all kinds of um, um, jealousy is a part of this. And so they maliciously accused the Jews. Verse nine, they declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the fiery furnace. In other words, you made this decree. We didn't do this. You did this, okay? And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed. <laughs> so I love this. Again, they kind of put the, kind of the, responsibility back on the king. You, you appointed these dudes and, um, and right now they're not respecting you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So they stand up against the king. The music plays, the soundtrack happens, and these three guys do not bow down. They do not worship the golden image. And here's my point. If you stand out, haters are gonna stand up. They're gonna stand up against you. Don't be surprised by it. Don't get confused by it. Like it's gonna happen. These students who are standing or, or not standing during the song as a, as, a, as a way to stand up for their God and their faith, um, they're gonna get ridiculed and are. Even so-called Christians will ridicule them 
for, for doing this and, and pretend like it's not a big deal. And so when you decide to stand out and you decide to, to, to in fact, worship Jesus and, and, and you are standing out because of that worship, haters will most definitely stand up. They're gonna stand up against you. They're gonna try to ruin your reputation. They might speak evil against you on social media. They might try to even physically harm you. They're definitely gonna make fun of you. And so the question is, is that really going to intimidate you to the point that you're not gonna serve this holy, loving, amazing God? They might talk bad about me on Twitter. Really? Like, is that what we're dealing with here? Like, these guys are literally getting ready to get killed for their faith. Praise God, we live in a country where we don't have to worry about that right now. We, can, we have the freedom of speech, but what are we worried about? Somebody might make fun of me. I may not get invited to the party. Like, really? We are, we are weak. If that's, if that's what we're worried about, isn't it? Are you with me today? You agree with that? I mean, if, if that's what we're worried about, we, we need some more trials in this country. We need some more suffering. I pray that more suffering would come so that we would wake out of the slumber. We'd wake out of being petty, weak-minded, materialistic Americans and realize that our loyalty lies with Jesus. Realize that he is the answer and he is the only one we need to please, no one else. Listen, sometimes just doing the right thing is just gonna make people mad. Think about that. Just, you, you might be honest, you might be, you know, have integrity, you might be making the right decisions, you might be doing, you know, well in school and everything is going well and somebody is gonna get mad at you just because of that. <laughs> and you say, well, that's not fair. I'm trying to live a good life. Why would they get mad at me? I don't know, ask Jesus. He was perfect and they killed him. <laughs> so I guess we should expect it and I guess that's just part of it, that we have to realize that you know, when we, in fact, are doing this, and in fact, living for Jesus, it's just part of the result of standing up for Jesus. Some of us are experiencing it right now. Some of you might say, um, why is this even a big deal? Why is this even a big deal? I mean, why can't they just bow down and they can pretend like they're worshiping the idol, but inside, they're thinking about God. Why can't they do that? Well, I'll tell you why. It starts with number one commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And the second is very similar. You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything. And you shall not bow down to it and worship it. So kind of a biggie. He starts with that one, right? Some of you are still not convinced. You're like, yeah, I think we could, get, I think we could do it. I think we could bow down, think about Jesus. And that's what I try to do at work. I'm not a part of it. I might go to the party, everybody's drunk, but I'm thinking about Jesus. I go to the strip club, but I'm thinking about Jesus. Okay, right? <clears throat> um, it would be like me, like, think of it like this. It'd be like me, your pastor, going to an Islamic mosque after church today and go there, roll out the carpet, face to the east, start reciting their prayers, start reading from their Quran and start bowing down um, and just like they do. Now, what would you do if your pastor was doing that? You're jetting. Thanks for your time. Peace. Like, you're out, right? Um, it, it, it just doesn't match up. See, you can, you can think that going to the mosque and doing that is not going to affect you, but it will. You can think that going to the party when everybody else is drunk and you're not going to do it isn't going to affect you, but it will. You can think that I can listen to whatever music and it doesn't affect you, but it will. 
Like it's just, it's just how we, it's just how we think in our head to try to give ourselves a pass and think it's okay. We, we just kind of rationalize things in our life as not a big deal when in fact, it can be a big deal and it will be a big deal. And for these guys, there's no way that they're gonna bow down to an idol. There's no way that they're gonna worship and bow down as the king has commanded them to. And, and, and so uh, the king finds out about this. He gets extremely mad and he calls them in and uh, he gives them one more chance. He, uh, he essentially says, I'm gonna play the band, strike up the orchestra one more time and give you guys a chance to worship this image. Verse 16 It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, after he gives them this chance, they answer the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. (laughs) That's pretty powerful. You think about it for a minute. Like what do we typically do on social media and to our friends? We wanna argue and get loud and point our fingers and and, 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 and just try to, you know, prove our point that God is, God is, should be honored in this country and you're just the sinner, and here's why you're so terrible, and, and what do they do? They just go, hey, look, we don't have any need to, to, to really answer you in this. Our God says not to do this. We're gonna serve and worship him no matter what you do. That's it. Verse 17, if this be so, this is what you're gonna do. Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Verse 18, circle this. This is, this is one of the most encouraging and powerful verses in the entire Bible. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Oh, I mean, I love it. I love what they're teaching us here. I love what it means. Here, here's the faith that I pray for the faith that I pray for personally and the prayer I pray for our church that, that we could line up with this idea and believe it today that we will not bow down to the, to the idols of our culture. We will not bow down and serve the images that our culture elevates and that we would believe that our God would deliver us from any punishment or, or any adversity that we might face as a result. But if he doesn't step in and save us, we still are going to worship him and serve him, even if he does not. My God is my God. Even if he does not rescue me in this physical ailment, even if he does not step in in this situation and I get ridiculed or I get fired or I don't get the promotion or somebody makes fun of me or I get beat up or I get thrown into jail, you can do whatever you wanna do. I believe he can save me. But even if he decides not to, he's my God. And that'll, that'll, that'll change your life if you start living that principle. And when you're facing a crisis in your life, and we're experiencing that in your life, this is the truth that we need to hear. Because God isn't always gonna rescue you from the physical realm and he's not always gonna take away the cancer. He's not always gonna heal. He's not always gonna you know, give you the new job. It doesn't mean he doesn't love you. It means that he responds and is doing something much bigger than you could even understand. But he will respond in two ways when you go through a crisis. The first thing he'll do, sometimes God saves you from the trial. So sometimes, you know, you'll be saved from the fiery furnace. Sometimes the doctors will come back and say, you don't have cancer anymore, you're healed. Sometimes the king will say, okay, we're not gonna kill you. You know, we like you now. Sometimes, you know, 
you know, you're gonna get the answer that, they, yeah, there was an accident, but nobody is hurt. Everybody's okay. That's, that's an amazing answer. You're gonna get that in your life. But sometimes God's gonna save you through the trial. In other words, he's not gonna take away the furnace. He's not gonna take away the whatever crisis you're going through, but he will, in fact, save you through it, right? And so what this means is that, that just like the prodigal son, when he leaves and he's living wildly, you know, and doing his thing, he gets to a moment when it, things are so bad, things are so terrible in his life, the scripture says that he kind of comes to his senses and he's like, what am I doing? Like, I'm, I'm eating this slop. It's time for me to go home to my father. This is ridiculous. And he comes to his, his senses and those, through that trial, through that crisis, God uses it to save him. God uses it to bring him to himself. You've probably experienced both of these from time to time in your life. And you know people who were running away from God, not serving God, a crisis hits, they're facing bankruptcy, they're, maybe they get a divorce, and God uses that situation and, and, and uses that to save this person, brings them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, God didn't want them to sin. God didn't cause them to sin. God didn't want them to get a divorce. And yet, the amazing power of God's sovereignty is that when these negative bad crises happen in our life, he can use them for our good. And so we recognize that sometimes God's just gonna save us because of this situation. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say, nope, we're not gonna worship this idol. It makes the king so angry at this point, he orders that the, 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 the furnace gets heated seven times hotter than normal. And so the guards take them to throw them into the fiery furnace. And it's so hot that the guards get killed as they try to throw them in. And in fact, they get thrown in and, and the king is watching. Everybody's looking. And here's what happens next. Verse 24, then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, did we not cast three dudes in the fire? <laughs> and they answered and said to the king, uh, yeah, we did. Verse 25, and he answered and said, but I see four. And one guy, he didn't look normal. In fact, they're all unbound. They're walking in the midst of the fire and they're not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. <laughs> There's three teenagers, they're tied up. They're thrown, uh, 30 year old men, they're tied up in, and thrown into the furnace, right? And now all of a sudden there's four in there, no longer bound, and the fire is not consuming them. Here's the third point. When haters stand up against you, Jesus stands in with you. And so Jesus is, is not a son of the gods. This is the son of God. This is Jesus incarnate with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And it's in this moment that, okay, they're, they're, their chains are kind of loose. Why? Because they're with Jesus. Um, they're walking around. Fire isn't hurting them. Everybody looks normal except for one guy because this guy's Jesus and this Jesus is walking through the fire with them. This Jesus has come to uh, their rescue. This Jesus in the moment of crisis, in a moment where there doesn't seem like any hope and Jesus shows up. And I think this is the, one of the biggest comforts for me that through whatever crisis and trial I ever face that I am not alone. 
that God is with me. Jesus says, I'm never gonna leave you. I'm never gonna forsake you. He says, listen, I'm, I'm gonna be with you even into the very end of the age. And so God delivers them from this fire. God delivers them from this pain. God delivers them from death. They come out of the fire, they're unharmed. Not a single clothe, a piece of clothing on their body is singed. They don't even smell like smoke, the scripture says, when they walk out. And when Nebuchadnezzar sees this in verse 28, he's, he's freaked out, he's blown out. He's blown out of the water. And his response as they come out of the furnace is this in verse 28. Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any God except their own God. This is a sermon in and of itself when you think about it. Look at this, I mean, he's, he's simply saying, listen, trust God. He, they, they, they trusted God and they set aside the, the culture's worship of the day. And as a result, God rescued them. God rescued them. Look at verse 29. Therefore, he says, I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. Not what we were going for, but okay. Their houses laid in ruins. Listen to this though. Circle this. There is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Listen, a, a pagan king is, is brought to a realization that the God of the universe has just rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the reason is because there's no other God that can save like this. Praise God today if you believe that, church. Like, there's no God. There's no God that can rescue you apart from Jesus today. No matter what trial you're going through, no matter what crisis you are facing, the doctors inevitably cannot save you. Money cannot save you. Doing well on the football field cannot save you, cannot elevate you. The only person in the history of the world and who will ever be able to rescue you, his name is Jesus. Yeah. And I just want to encourage you, why would you negotiate and try to get this guy to prove something to you? Why would you even hesitate for one second to believe that this God is with you today. He is with you through the fire, no matter what you're going through. When you think about it, here's, here's what really helps me. When Jesus is dying on the cross, the weight of all of hell is on his shoulders. The, the wrath of God is upon him because our sin was, was placed upon him. He's suffering, he's dying, and he's hanging there as the son of God with all power and all authority. And he is suffering and dying. And at any moment, he could have said, you know what, this is a lot harder than I thought it was gonna be, I'm out. <laughs> he could have said, okay, you know, I'm done. In fact, they were mocking him and saying, hey, if you can, you, why can't you save yourself? If you're the son of God, save yourself. And so he's even tempted in that moment and he could have been like, you know what, you're right. What am I doing? This is ridiculous. But he didn't, he stayed. He stayed, he stayed for you. So listen, let's, let's logically make the connection here. If the Son of God stayed on the cross for my sin and for your sin, and he did not give up and he did not walk away when the weight of God's wrath was upon his shoulders, then when you face cancer, guess what? He ain't leaving you in that. 
when you're going through a difficulty in your marriage, he's not gonna abandon you. He hasn't left you. He, he stayed on the cross, which was the, the moment that you would expect him to say, all right, I'm done. But he didn't, he stayed. He stayed, he stayed for you. So the reality is no matter what you're going through today, he's right there with you. He's never gonna leave you. He's never gonna forsake you. What he is waiting for you to do is to worship him. True and proper worship, giving all of yourself, laying everything down to serve this one true God. Let's summarize today. So if you worship Jesus, if that's what you're gonna do, you will stand out, no holds barred, no doubt, you will stand out. And when you stand out and worship to Jesus, haters will stand up against you. They are not gonna like it, just get ready for it. But Jesus is gonna stand in there with you, no matter what you face. That is good news. That is good news. And uh, these, these guys today give us the hope that whatever you're facing, that God is doing a lot more in your life than you even imagine. So the question is this, here's how we land. Who are you gonna worship? Who are you gonna worship? You're gonna worship the God that loves you, will never leave you and never forsake you, who died on the cross for your sins, taking your place, giving you the opportunity to receive forgiveness and giving you the opportunity to have a relationship with your heavenly father restored and the hope of heaven. In that worship, you make disciples and you serve and everything changes when that happens, truly happens, right? Or will you worship the images that culture says to worship? The choice is given to you. And my hope is that we would not just look at Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as like these good you know, moral figures, but that we would see that Jesus is the greater Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That he in fact did rescue and does offer that salvation to you today. And the question is, do you want it? Are you gonna walk with him? Because he wants to walk with you. Let's pray together. Father, we recognize in this moment that, Lord, there's some folks in here who have never truly worshiped you. They've never experienced your grace and truth. They've never committed their life to you. I pray that today you would lead them in that decision. Folks all over the room, if, if there's ever a prayer need that you have, if you ever need to make a decision, in the atrium we have a room called the prayer and care room designed for those questions and that prayer to take place. I, I encourage you to stop by that room today. Father, others in the room, Lord, we're going through a, a crisis. Our worship is being tested. And there might be some folks who are failing. Maybe they are bowing down. Maybe they are giving in. And they've let the world's loves creep into their heart. Help us to rid ourselves of that chaos. Help us to rid ourselves of that sin, Jesus. And help us to elevate you and put you first in our life. Put you at the center of our heart and focus our worship and attention on you. Give us courage when we face adversity and courage when the world speaks evil against us. God, help us to realize that you're the only one we're serving and you're the only opinion that we need to care about. And it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.